You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Yes, a YN or a tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet. To get an isolation with the with the linebacker. Tell the tackle. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Text us, 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Tim, live in Green Bay. Back to talk a little Packers as the deadline seems to have come and gone for re-signing those players that we talked about, the voidable years being triggered on their contract. And of course, we'll kind of lead into that um, pretty soon here in the show. We'll also get to a history segment. We'll make sure we get to the history segment. And I got some other cool stuff that we could check out too if we uh, if we need some filler there towards the end. But with that being said, let's go to the chat real quick because this one this one really grabbed my attention right off the bat, uh, Tim, and, and we'll get to it here from Bates. This is really, really interesting. First though, Peter Stone in the chat said, didn't catch the show this morning live, but did watch after work. Mock draft was awesome. Appreciate it. That was one of our favorite mock drafts for sure that Emilio and I had done. Uh, United Bates said, same, just watched it a little bit ago. Draft was great. I like the idea of trading back if the cards line up. Um, me too. It just seems like one of those drafts that I think you can really maximize your value if you do trade out of that 25th pick. And, and we're not talking about trading too far down, but you know, if you could trade back four or five picks ideally and possibly pick up an extra second or maybe just a third, I think it could put yourself in a lot better situation. Peter Stone said, yeah, I liked it too. The more picks in the top 100, the better. And then United Bates, this is what I wanted to hit on first. United Bates said, I was just doing some mocks on PFF. They have Kenshin's ranked 80th overall now. Has to be an error or I missed something. You didn't miss anything there, Bates. That's what their website is showing now. So they've adjusted that to where Kenshin's has dropped significantly. Now, listen, it could have been a glitch, could have been an error, right? That may fix itself. It doesn't surprise me, though. You guys know early on, and I've pretty, I've been pretty vocal, I'm a lot higher on Tyler Newbin than I am on Cameron Kenshin's, right? And the reason being is the consistency. Really, it's the consistency, the size. Some would say he's more athletic than Cam Kenshin's. We'll see, though. Um, you know, it's going to be kind of put up or shut up at the uh, – at the combine here, uh, gosh, I guess that's next week, right, Tim? 27, 28, something like that. So, yeah, right around, yeah, the, corner. Right around the corner. So, with that being said, let me just kind of point out to you what I was talking about, Bates, when, when you know, as I've been saying, I like Nubin over Kinchins. The media hop, the, the mock draft database is the one that had Kinchins pretty high, right? They were kind of, you know, carrying the water for Kinchins, and it's because he had such a good 2022 year. Last year, he played like, hot garbage last year, to be honest with you. And and when you would say that, people would roll their eyes and go, well, how much of the tape did you actually watch? The answer is none. I didn't watch the Miami Hurricanes. But when you go back and look at the PFF grades, and then you go back and look at some of the key statistics that's involved with coverage, 
it's pretty bad. So here's what Bates was pointing out. If you go to PFF and their uh, their big board, right, their prospect board right now, Cam Kitchens is now ranked 80th. He's now below Kalen Bullock. He's not just below Kalen Bullock. He's 20 spots below Kalen Bullock. Now, you guys see Vaki there. We took him earlier because he's got some slot potential, uh, had some slot snaps the last two years. But, uh, you know, Cam, Cam Kitchens isn't too high above him right now. Now, look at this PFF grade, Tim. In 2021, 68.8. Then in 2022, 90.0. And then 2023, back down the 67.8. That's what we were pointing out before and why we liked Newbin so much is because Newbin was more consistent from the PFF standpoint. Now, for those out there rolling their eyes right now that, that don't like PFF, let me give you another key statistic. Passer rating when targeted, okay, in college, passer rating when targeted. Understand, I didn't sort it by the best safeties in the league. All I did, Tim, I sorted the Miami Hurricanes defense, and I sorted it by passer rating when targeted. Look at these numbers. Cam Kitchens was dead last on the team at 139.2 in passer rating when targeted. This, These are the two sets of numbers that I was looking at before when I was saying, I really like Tyler Newbin over Cam Kitchens. And, you know, like Jake's pointed out, the scheme fit aspect, all that, it sounds like, Cam Kitchens may be dropping, at least according to the PFF website. Again, it could be a glitch. We'll find out soon enough. If we wake up in the morning, he's right back up there as the number one safety, then then we know it was just a glitch, obviously. But that's some pretty bad numbers there, man. I mean, you're, you're talking about 139.2. You, I don't think he could have played any worse, to be honest with you, Tim, when it comes to the passing game anyway. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of important <laughs> when you're looking for a safety, right? Just a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Um, let's see who else we got in the chat here real quick. Make sure we're not missing anything. Let's see. Uh, 26 guys looking forward to it. No, 26 is when the combine kicks off, what Peter Stone says. Got it. All right, good deal. So just want to kind of kick off with that because Bates pointed that out. That really caught me off guard too, Bates, when you posted that in the chat, man. That's uh, it's very, very interesting for sure. Now, let's go on to the other news of the day that we kind of led off with there, Tim. Um, obviously, the deadline seems to have passed. Uh, Rob Domofsky tweeted this out. He said the Packers will count $9.48 million in dead money on their 2024 salary cap after they did not reach extensions with three players whose contracts voided as of the end as of the end of the business today. Okay. So it was Darnell Savage, which will go for $5.4 million against the cap. Offensive tackle Yash Nyman, $2.5 million against the cap. And Keyshawn Nixon, 1.4 against the cap. Now, anybody who watches our show, like you were saying offline, Tim, they're, they're not going to be surprised by seeing this because we've pointed out how those are going to accelerate once we get to this state. And it's like, okay, if you're going to re-sign one of those players, it you know, there's benefits, there's a benefit to re-signing them if you're going to re-sign them, right? If you know hands down, hey, look, I don't care if they test free agents, we're going to bring them back. You go ahead and get them inked in on a deal. You can move this cap around a little bit like you have in the past over the duration of the contract, given the, the guaranteed money and the money that's already kind of been paid in that regard. You could shift that stuff around. So when we looked at it, like, let me give you an example. With Darnell Savage and his fifth-year option, which every year I learned something else following the team. Last year what I learned was you can actually break down the fifth-year option, which is essentially a mini-franchise tag. You can break it down and spread it out over voidable years if you want to. That was really, really interesting to me. So with that being said, um, Savage's fifth-year option, if you'll notice here, his cap penalty, right? And, and keep in mind, these numbers haven't accelerated yet, but this is how 
Spotrack lays it out so you can understand how it will accelerate, right? His dead cap for 2024 was $5.4 million. But notice 2025, 26, 27, 28, it's 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, right? So what happens essentially is after the deadline, which has already passed here today, if you don't reach a contract extension where basically you would have tack more money onto this, but you can spread it out over those four avoidable years. Those four avoidable years now have to accelerate to the current year. If you tally that up, the 1.364 million, 1.364 million, 1.364 million, and the 1.366 million, what will happen is that will tally up to the cap hit, the dead cap hit of 5.456 million. All right. So that's kind of how that comes into play. Let me show you Keyshawn Nixon. His is similar. Okay. His was much, much less, but a similar structure, right? He had three voidable years. Actually, yeah, three voidable years. Um, four counting 2024, as a matter of fact. So four voidable years. And the cap hit there, the dead cap is 1.48 million, right? Well, they had it spread out through 2025, 2026, and 2027 at 370,000. Okay. So obviously they didn't get a deal done there. That doesn't mean they're not going to bring these guys back to him, right? That's that's the one thing I want people to understand. And, and here's what you immediately go to. You go to precedent, right? Okay, what have they done in the past when you've had players on voidable years? Immediately, people steer the conversation towards doom and gloom. And, well, this is a clear sign they won't be back. That's, you know, because precedent is when they when you have voidable years and once that contract expires, if you don't resign them, then you just let them go. That's simply not true. And, and you'll see people playing both sides of the fence to try to paint this doom and gloom picture. Robert Tunyon and Devondre Campbell are two examples, two examples of where their contract the, with voidable years expired and then they still got re-signed. OK, so just keep that in mind there. That's two players that that's happened to in the past. Now, they'll, they'll re-sign after that gets accelerated. The bottom line doesn't change at all. It's still the same amount of guaranteed money. It's now allocation, right? When you go cash over cap, cash is the check that's wrote. Cap is the allocation of those funds, meaning how far are you going to spread that out? The player is going to get a check up front for the signing bonus, but you can spread that out over the duration of the voidable year. So just wanted to point that out. The other thing, too, you know, more it's important to, to mention, even though you've got Tunyon and Campbell as examples of players that would sign later on. And keep in mind, we can still negotiate with them up until free agency. So you can still get the deal done. All today was, was the deadline for that money to accelerate. So essentially what Goody's saying is, let's don't kick that down the road anymore. Let's go ahead and eat that cost. Kind of makes you think Bach probably isn't coming back because you're going to have that $20 million freed up. I'm just going to throw that out there. Every day it seems like more and more there's, there's another kind of small check in the box for me that I go, eh, kind of feels like Bach ain't coming back. I hate it but it looks like that's probably going to be the case. I don't hate it. I can see the pros and the pros to both sides of, of having him and letting him go and freeing up the 20 million. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's just interesting to see everything kind of come into, come into play here. And, but you know, even though those two players have signed, you've got to keep in mind too, more have not re-signed, um, but it has happened before, right? It's just, it's really important. Let me give you an example here. 2023. These are the dead cap numbers from 2023. Look at this, Tim. Last year against the cap, $40.3 million for Aaron Rodgers, okay? Adrian Amos had voidable years tacked on. He cost us $7.9 million last year because those voidable years accelerated. Rasul, not so much, 
that I remember. Dean Lowry was one that had voidable years that accelerated $3 million. Randall Cobb's another one, $1.3 million. Jaron Reed, $1.4 million. To just give you an idea, right, of how does this stack up against last year, right, this year and last year. Last year alone, just, just in three players, we had over $50 million in dead cap, not even including Rasul Douglas. I'm talking about Dean Lowry, Adrian Amos, and Aaron Rodgers. This year, what did we have accelerate? $9.5 million. And there's people out there going, oh, this is disgusting. This is so sickening that we've got this much cap. What are you talking about? <laughs> Nine and a half million dollars that you're crying about last year, we ate 50 million. It's just wild. So uh, when you go to the 2024 cap hits, obviously we can get into that too. But Tim, I want to get your take on everything to this point, man. I mean, you, you pretty much summed it up. I mean, this is what we were, we've been talking about this for a while that we kind of thought that the doom and gloomers were going to come out now. And, uh, oh, they're letting these guys walk and, you know, they're done. It's like I'm willing to bet Keyshawn Nixon's a Packer next year. You know, Yash Nijman and uh, and uh, Darnell Savage are, are bigger question marks to me. Um, I think we go after Keyshawn for sure. But this is just part of, you know, doing business in the NFL. It really is. And like you said, great job pulling up recent, uh, recent precedents for this. I mean, we have seen this before. So. You know, there's nothing to get uh, too freaked out about. Although you are you are correct in your uh, your assumption here that this definitely looks more like we're probably not going to see Bakhtiari back in Green Bay. But again, we don't know until we know, right? Yeah, it's uh, I can still it's going to come down to what we talked about the entire time, which is is he willing to take a pay cut, and if so, how much? You know, right? That's what it's going to come down to for sure. So. And I had always said that Bach wouldn't wouldn't be that guy. I, I was pretty vocal about, oh, I don't see Bakhtiari giving us any any breaks. But it's like I almost wonder if it's a situation where maybe he is willing to to take a pay cut, but it's just not not enough for it to be significant enough for us to make that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Um, so the 2024 cap hits, just glance over them real quick to kind of give you guys an idea, again, a refresher. Now that we know that the, those cap hits have hit, you see Darnell Savage there. He's not on the roster, but accounts for $5.4 million against the cap. If you kind of look at it from the top to bottom, David Bakhtiari at that $39.9 million, although you could free up. Um, like I said, dead cap, there's 19 million, so you could free up roughly $21 million, somewhere around a 20 to $21 million. Uh, Kenny Clark, you got the $27.4 million cap hit, but you've got – Fifteen point five million in salary, uh, seven hundred fifty in roster bonus. Really want to keep keep in on or yeah, keep keyed in on Kenny Clark's base salary that you can convert to signing bonus and free up money there. I mean, just between those two players, there realistically, you could see you could see cutting Bach and restructuring Kenny and freeing up roughly thirty million just amongst those two players. We know Jair is going to be on the roster. That's been Goody's been really really clear about that. Now, as far as the uh, the dead cap, obviously, you would never get rid of him just to uh, to still eat four million dollars. That's why we were saying there was the trade is just it, it never really made sense. But base salary six point six million, roster bonus at eight point two. Obviously, you you very easily free up seven to eight million there. We actually had the numbers here. 
what we came up with with Bach, and we cut these numbers in half. Maximum restructure, cut them in half. Really cut them a little more than in half. We said ten million with Bach. If he if he was on the roster, you could realistically clear up ten million, but they'll probably cut him and clear up uh, twenty. Kenny Clark eight million. Jair Alexander seven point four million. Aaron Jones five point six million. Preston Smith five point nine million. Uh, Rashawn Gary four point one. Elton Jenkins four point five. And Devondre Campbell at, at a clean five million. So what you come up with there is roughly fifty point nine million with a max restructure of eight. 85 million. We said realistically, probably even cut that half number in half because Goody plays it pretty conservative. So you're looking at probably having somewhere around 25 to 30 million you could free up in the blink of an eye. So that's if they see something in free agency that they do like, right? That's going to be the big, the big if there for sure. So uh, let's, let's go back to the chat real quick. Um, Peter Stone says, This is a great question. Do we consider drafting Newbin earlier then? It kind of feels like a one man race now, right? What's what's the old saying that we always we always talk about with business, real estate, anything, right? When there is a high demand and a low supply, it it equals overpaying for that product, right? You're going to cause inflation there. So I imagine that people are going to be kind of going after him uh, a little bit uh, a little bit more aggressive than they would have before seeing that Cam Kitchen seems to be dropping against just one website, and right. and of all sides, it's PFF, which we knows kind of thinks outside of the box a little bit from other some of the other media outlets. So we got to keep saying that. It could be a glitch in the system. It could be that PFF is is early on it, early on the news that, hey, Cam's going to drop a little bit. That could be the case. Uh, only time will tell. We'll have plenty of time to talk about it moving forward for sure. Maybe he becomes that guy we get in the late round. You know, we if he if he does in fact drop, you know, and we you know we double dipped in a couple of our mocks. We had Newbin and Kinchins. Um, yeah. You know, maybe Newbin's the guy we do. We have to go after early, and then you know, sixth, seventh round. If 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 Kinchins doesn't in fact fall, or he's a later round pick, maybe we can grab both of these guys. You know, I think that it's true though. The one thing that Kinchins has going is you know being a better scheme fit, but it seems like Tyler Newbin's got him in every other every other category right now as far as uh, the better talent. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Um, read that comment that's on the screen there. I'm gonna pull up a PFF grade, Tim. What's that say on the uh, screen? So Doug Valentine played well in zone. He had good reaction time in pass deflection, or I guess pass defense. Same thing. Deflection. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Got it. I want to point this out because listen, I'm a Kentucky fan. You guys know this. I'm, I'm a Kentucky Notre Dame fan through and through when it comes to college ball. I've been I've been following them both of those teams longer than I've been following the Packers, to be honest with you. Um, you know, started following the Packers in 2003. I've been a Kentucky fan since since our as long as I can remember. I say that because no one wants Carrington Valentine to pan out more than me. But here's the reality: Carrington Valentine's PFF grade last year was 57.5. 57.5. He was 28th on defense. So what that tells you is there's only 34 guys that are grading out here. There was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, only six players on our defense that graded out lower than Carrington Valentine. Oh, by the way, one of those was Eric Stokes. Only 110 snaps, but it was Eric Stokes. It was also Ennis Gaines, cornerback, right, which minimal, minimal snaps there. Why do I mention that? When people lose their mind because we're looking at drafting two to four cornerbacks, this is what I'm talking about. I don't understand where the whole mindset that Carrington Valentine has played well has come from. And maybe someone can explain it to me because I really – I don't get it. I want him to pan out more than anybody. He was our draft – he was our 
our training camp crush. He was just flashing all over training camp. He made some plays last year. Don't get me wrong. And what else could you ask for someone other than, you know, that's a seventh round pick, right? A seventh round corner to step in and start cornerback in the National Football League. This isn't a knock against him. He played like a seventh rounder, right? But this whole idea that not we're set at corner, we don't need him. And I'm not necessarily saying Doug's saying that. It's just you see a lot of that on on the internet right now on Twitter. And it's like, I don't understand what we're looking at, guys. I really don't. Like, I'm going to go to the Packers defense, and I'm just going to cross-check real quick. I'm going to go to SIS, and we are going to look at passing defense. And I want to see what his passer rating when targeted was just amongst the team here really, really quick. I can't remember exactly how good or bad it was. Let's see how it pans out. 79.1 was his passer rating when targeted. So not horrible, right? To put that into perspective, it was better than Jair Alexander, who was at 98.7. It was better than Keyshawn Nixon at 100.5. It was better than Eric Stokes, who was 145.8. My God. Um, So with that being said, you've got him as the – in pass coverage – Passer rating when targeted, he's 14th on the team in that statistic. And then he was, whatever it was on PFF grades, he was 28th in PFF grades. So if you took those two and just kind of averaged them out, what are you looking at? Like a a player that's right around the 20 mark, right? Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. This is what I mean by we can get better at corner, man. We can get better at the corner. There's no two ways about it. So, um, and maybe he'll take a second year jump. I hope that happens. I just don't really understand the whole... You know, we're good at corner. We're good at corner. And there's been a lot of that talk for sure, man. Um, this is no, a great comment. Go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say it could be from from the years of, you know, watching Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins and guys just getting torched in the secondary. You know, and now we get a rookie that comes out and, you know, 
like you said, he played like a seventh rounder, right? Well, he wasn't yeah. like a full on liability. He wasn't a dumpster a good player. Yeah. So good I think, you know, fanning with our hearts a little bit. And, and like you said, we want to see him do well. We want to see him succeed. Um, you know, we could say the same thing about, you know, one of my draft crushes uh, or camp crushes was um, Anthony Johnson Jr. You right. know, and he Thanks. got some starts. He got some playing time. Didn't, didn't, you know, knock anyone's socks off. Didn't play super amazing. Um, clearly has some work to do. So I think a lot of it, it just comes from our, our, you know, our fandom, our excitement at wanting right. to see these young players do well. And so I think maybe people are a little higher on Valentine because of that, just because of the fact that, you know, like we always say, sometimes when you're, when you're not getting a lot of camera time and your numbers not being called a lot means you're doing pretty well, you're kind of flying under the radar. Maybe they're not going to that side of the field as much. So I think maybe he, he looked a little better than the stats reflected to a lot of fans is, is what I can come up with as far as the logic. So, but I'm yeah, with I, you, man. I hope he takes the year two jump. And, and think about this too, Tim, Anthony Johnson jr. I was as excited about him too, because there were some people, not Greg Cosell, but a couple of other draft experts that I really like just because you could tell they watched the tape and they dive in. They said, this guy is going to fit the Fangio system. Well, he can play a too high shell and rotate yep. down. He plays, he plays down really well. But here's the problem. We didn't play too high shell. <laughs> we played single high, middle field close the entire year, fifth most in the league. So that explains why he struggled, right? So right. You, here you're seeing a guy that they took late in the draft, hoping he would hit, right? And then they took him out of the scheme, essentially, that he was good at playing, or at least his traits would lead you to believe that he could play. But last year, you're right about Anthony Johnson Jr., man. He graded out 33rd of 34 at 47.9. But again, late round pick, right? Yeah. And and we wanted to pan out, but just didn't. Just didn't, man. Yeah, so uh I mean, most rookies are bad. Let's be honest. Most rookies are bad in their first league year in the league, you know? And yeah. we'll take not so bad for a rookie as opposed to bad. Um and then some guys impress the hell out of you and they're they hit the ground running and they're they're studs their rookie year. I mean, we saw that across the board in the NFL. Uh, in 2023, a lot of rookies really kind of shocked the world and, you know, came out what, whether they were high draft picks or not, they performed. Um, and a, a few of those guys right here in Green Bay. So, um, I mean, the future looks bright, but, you know, to think that we don't need to improve that corner, you know, I, I'd rather hear the argument of let's go to free agency and look at, you know, bringing a middle of the road veteran uh, in or something. But don't don't try to convince me that we don't need help at corner. You know, yeah. I, I'm with you, Clayton, because, you know, it, I can't it, just beat Ja and a bunch of a bunch of whoever's, you know, we got to we got to put a secondary together because, you know, if we're going to play more man, we're going to need we're <laughs> going to need man cover corners, man, to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's the thing, too. Like one of the reasons that Carrington Valentine dropped in the draft significantly was because his his last year in Kentucky, they played more zone. Right. So some when you hear that talked about by the local, you know, media members there in Lexington, Kentucky, who cover the cats, you know, it makes you think, oh, OK, well, he's better at playing man than zone. I haven't looked at the numbers deep enough to determine that or not. But one thing's for sure in zone last year, he did not play well. Right. I mean, right. it's just it is what it is. And you if you look at the PFF grades and you go back and watch the tape, it kind of matches up. Like, let me give you an example. That passer rating when targeted. One specific play, he got burned on a double move. I can't remember who they were playing, but he got burned on a double move, and we broke it down in chalk talk. Luckily, he recovered and batted the ball down, but I guarantee you PFF gave him a negative play, a negative mark on that. 
because he got absolutely torched and because the ball was coming out late and he was able to rebound on passer rating when targeted, it looks a lot better than it probably would in PFF, I'm assuming. So That's true. So, That's true. A PBU, a PBU gives you a good grade, but, you know, if you got torched before that, <laughs> right. kind of covers that up. Definitely. And listen, nobody's a slam dunk. And listen, Cam Kinchins could drop out of the top 100 and end up being the best safety in the draft. He could go right back to 2022 and be absolutely awesome. No one knows that, not even the general managers, not even the, the talent evaluators, the scouts. And they've been watching these guys way more than any of us have watching YouTube highlights, right? I mean, let's be honest. So you got to take that into consideration. So what's the anecdote? What's the solution, right, to how do you, how do you not miss? you got to take multiple swings. And that's why I'm in favor of trading back is like if you could get both of those safeties, who knows, maybe it turns out to be Kalen Bullock as the number two safety by the time we get to the draft. Whoever it is, take a couple swings at safety, a couple swings at corner, and let's see if we can get this buttoned up, at least in the at least in the base aspect of our defense, and then kind of focus on nickel, which, you know, we took Vaki earlier and said, hey, he could compete with Keyshawn Nixon in the slot if indeed Keyshawn tests the market and comes back and gets re-signed. So um, we will uh, – We'll see how it plays out, though, man. It's about to start ramping up. Uh, draft season is really upon us. We'll have the combine, like I said, next week. It's gonna it's gonna turn into a lot of fun. Deppich in the chat says, "What's that?" Oh, I was gonna say, and only two months away from the draft. I think we're like uh, right around a couple months. And then when we get to the draft, Tim, it'll be man, we're just we're one month away from OTAs, and then yep. it'll be hey, training camps right around the corner. I'm telling you, it's gonna be here in a blink of an eye. I'm excited. Right. About it. Deppich says, "Will the new D coaching staff?" Uh, Coach Valentine up? It's a great, great question, Deadfish. The biggest thing that I've come away with when trying to study and understand who is Jeff Halfley, and, and when you remove the Ohio State fanboy opinions and go, okay, that was one year where they had 17 defensive coordinators working together. What? <laughs> it's just amazing the different stories, opinions. You know, I, I've talked to multiple Ohio State fans who said he wasn't calling plays. There's been one media member that said he did call plays. You won't find an article that says where he calls plays. It's it's just amazing how secretive it was. But he didn't call plays at BC, so you can't count BC's defense. I'm, I'm trying to sift through all the noise, and the one thing I do keep coming back from or coming back with is multiple former players and coaches and people who have went to coaching clinics and everything, like Coach Haddad, who's had firsthand knowledge, what's he said? You're, what you're getting is an excellent defensive backs coach as your DC. So I think what you're saying, Dead Fish, it could very well be true, man. He may be able to come in here and, and up Valentine's game. He might be able to, if you bring back Valentine, up his game a bit. You might see if Keyshawn tests the market, comes back, and he signs with the Packers, you may see a scenario where Keyshawn all of a sudden just takes off in that slot spot, right? But I, I still think you got to take some swings in the draft and try to try to add competition at the, at the bare bones minimum for sure. Um, so with that being said, let me check the chat one more time. I think we're good. Good to see everybody in here, man. So good to see y'all in here. Um, let's see. We got a couple of them start here, don't we? Let's see here. Um, Doug in the chat said, um, I bet they give Savage a one year prove it deal. He'll be good in this scheme. Uh, he was fine last year, inconsistent, but not a dumpster fire. Um, I think he would have a better shot. That's the thing though, man. I worry about Savage getting picked up by the Bears. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I feel like if any, anybody's going to go ahead and throw, you know, a lot of money at a guy, it's Chicago. I can see it. I can see I, it. I can see it. So that that makes me a little nervous. Or the know? Vikings even. Think about this. 
where when did Darnell Savage flourish? Right. And here's the thing. Here's the reason we're pointing this out. There's no fifth year option to smack on him. Right. So he's he's going to test the market unless the Packers come in and overpay right now at this stage in the resign period. Right. So what year did he flourish? It was what, 2020? It was either 2019 or 2020? Yeah, 2020. Who was the DC, Tim? Mike Pettin. That would be Mike. Yeah, Mike Pettin. Where is Mike Pettin now? Minnesota. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yep. Don't be surprised that the Minnesota Vikings make a run at him. Harrison Smith's getting a little bit old, old a little bit long in the tooth, too, right? Yeah. Um, I could see them placing value on it when they're going through and they're evaluating everything and they go to Mike Pettin, who's the assistant coach who still got his hands in that defense a little bit with Brian Flores. If they go to Mike Pettin and say, Hey, who do you like on these names? Savage is probably going to be one of those. Hey, this dude, he can really play in my skin. Hey, but, but Sav might be one of those card carry and carry the G members and uh, feels like it won't let a couple million bucks standing away from him. You know, I could I could see him being that dude. Yeah, you know what? I'll take the four million and just stay in Green Bay. You keep your keep your six and a half million. I'm right. good. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I hope I hope to God I, we don't see him in the division. But you're right; it certainly is a possibility. I just want this team to get better, whatever it takes. I, and and that means no one is off limits on this roster. No one's off limits on the coaching staff. Like whatever we got to do to take that next step as an organization. To, yep, yep. to get in a, a little bit better position to uh, to just just be a little bit better next year, each and every year, right? We got Emilio in the house says, I'm here with y'all uh, too. Hey, everyone, I'm out to dinner with the missus and her family. Have to have the pod on in the pocket, though. You better, you better, <laughs> better not have that pod on in the pocket, buddy. I, I, I ain't going to have Jordan breathing down my neck going, hey, can you, what is up with this knucklehead listening to a podcast while we're out to dinner? Ain't going to happen, man. I'm going to laugh when Emilio just drops his phone right into his soup bowl at the, at the dinner table. <laughs> On his chicken cutlets. On his chicken cutlets. <laughs> Emilio cutlets. Or Emmy cutlets. Oh, they man. With the name there for sure. Um, let's see here. Uh, wanted to point this out real quick, Tim, since we're kind of talking about defense. I found a video. You guys know who Steve, Steve Spagnola is, right? He obviously, uh, the D.C. of Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs, which we pointed out. I think I got the numbers here somewhere. Kansas City finished the year. I know I got the chart. Where's the chart at in this mess of a desk I got? Kansas City. here in the hopper? Oh, okay. I thought you had it uploaded. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I've got the video ready to roll. I just want to point this out. Kansas City finished second in points per play, second in points per game, second in passing defense, meaning – passing yards, yards per pass attempt, I should say. And they were 25th in rush defense. So they were really keyed in on stopping the pass. Obviously, they go on to win another Super Bowl with Steve Spagnola uh, as their D.C. And some of you guys are going, who is this guy? Who's, who is Spags? Spags. Really? Was, yeah, Spags was the head coach for the Rams, okay, and then before the Rams, he got the head coaching job with the Rams in St. Louis. Before that, he was the D.C. for the Giants, who won those two Super Bowls. Okay, I know he won at least one. I think he was a part of the team for both of them, if I remember correctly. That's kind of how he got his head coaching gig. So, obviously, he gets let go. He took a year or two off. And Greg Cosell, every year, every offseason, he goes to NFL Films and just combs through the archives and goes over the tape. They've got, the mo- they said, the most state-of-the-art film, film study room that they – they're always rave over. And there was Spags. 
and spat and he asked Spags, he said, Do you mind if I come in and watch tape with you? It reminded me of the old John Madden when he uh when he went in and watched tape with gosh, who was it? Um, the quarterback, Norm Van Brocklin. When John Madden was a rookie offensive lineman, these are how I get off track right here. The history, man. I'm a damn nerd, Tim. John Madden huh? when he was a rookie with the Philadelphia Eagles, that's right. John Madden got drafted by the Eagles to play offensive line. He said he would go into the film room and Norm Van Brocklin future, you know, uh, NFL uh, Football Hall of Famer, right? He'd be in there watching tape, and he said, I walked in one time, and he said, hey, hey Red, he called him Red because of his red hair. He said, Red, come up here. Come up here and sit with me. And he said, I just sat there, and he would just talk out loud as he was watching film and pointing out what he was seeing. He said, I learned more sitting there with Norm Van Brocklin than, than any other time in my life. Well, let me fast forward. Greg Cosell said Spags let him watch tape with him. So, when Spags was out of a job, what he did was went to NFL Films and their archives, hung out at their facility and watched tape and stayed up on the current NFL because it's so cyclical, but it changes constantly, right? It's just constantly evolving. And then he gets the job with uh, with Kansas City. I say all that to say this. This video is like five or six years old. And this is Brian Baldinger, I believe, and Ron Jaworski sitting down with Spags and just talking defense. And he's going to talk about the difference between quarters and cover three. How would you guys like to go in behind the scenes to a meeting room and listen to the defensive coordinator for the back-to-back Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs? Just just talk a little ball for six or seven minutes. Here we go. All right, so listen, let's let's do this coverage-wise. So just simple math now. Yeah. Okay, let's just do some simple math. All right, so there's the football field. It's okay. 53 and the third uh, yards, yards wide, wide, right? And we know it's 100. If the stream goes down, guys, it's because it's NFL Films. It'll come right back up. Just keep refreshing. Click back on the link. I want to mention that. It'll probably go down here. Uh, we're allowed to use it. It's just the AI is going to trigger the copyright, and then it'll come back up. Yeah, it's long. If we could take nine coverage guys and put them back there in coverage, we could take away the deep quarters of the field. That would only be, uh, Baldy, you did the math, right? Yeah, 13, 13 yeah, yards. Yeah, about 13 yards of field. You could stand in the middle of 13 yards, yeah. and if the ball has got to travel 30 yards downfield, Juz, we can cover that, yeah, right? Got, yep. That would take care of all the deep throws. You see how they're breaking it down into yardage on the field? And keep in mind, the Play Callers podcast, what did they say? What did Robert Sala say over and over and over through his time in San Francisco? All football is is attacking space and defending space. That's all it is. If you could take five guys and put them in these underneath one-fifth area yeah. that we call two flats and two curls and two yeah. we'd be okay. Problem is, we don't have two guys to rush. I like that as a quarterback. Yeah, you, yeah, you'd have no problem with that. I like that part. Okay, so what happens? Uh, we, let's say we want to rush three people. we got to okay. take one guy out of here. All right, now this deep area has to get split into... Thirds. All right, it becomes a little more challenging yep. for you back here, Baldy, right? No sure. one, we can do the math. We don't need to now, but instead of covering 13 yards of field, it's one third of the 53 yeah. and a third. Yeah. Right. But we only have three guys rushing. Right. All right, most teams, right? Most zone coverages have four men, four men to rush. Right. So right. now we've got to cover somehow with seven guys. And conceptually, there's really two of them. You can play three deep, four under zone. Yep. Well, we played two deep, five under. All right, what are the reasons for the two different ones? I mean, you could stick in one and try to master it, but it's not too long before you figure out 
that underneath, if you've got to cover five zones and you only have four bodies to do it, it gets a little bit tougher. Jake, play it, play it, play it, play it. So what typically happens in a game is defensive coaches change up if they're going to stay in zone between two deep and three deep. Mm -hmm. You got teams that's second and five, and it's going to be a short throw. Maybe you live in this world a little bit because you got five underneath. Sure, people, right. If we want to take care of. Uh, them throwing things deep. We don't want a deep ball in the middle post. We get in a three deep and stick somebody here. Every coverage has a weakness. Every coverage has a strength. Where are the weaknesses in that, okay? The weaknesses to me are out here in the flat, mm -hmm. okay, because you're gonna have a curl. We, we'll talk in terms of somebody playing the curl flat or playing the hook curl. Mm -hmm. And all that means is that if I'm, if I'm a defender and I have the hook curl, I've got to work through the hook and then out to the curl based on the routes. If I'm a curl flat defender, I work through the curl and then to the flat. Well, if I'm telling these two guys to work through the curl mm -hmm. and then get to the flat, that must mean that that flat's open yeah. early, right? So to me, the weakness in cover three is out here the in the speed flat. speed outs. You want to be a good cover three team, you need good corners. I, mean, I think so. It goes without saying. Look, if you play off all the time, and, and these people are getting five out all of the time, it's going to be really hard for those four guys to cover those five zones. Sure. They just kind of yeah. trickle on down the field. So your corners, at some point, have got to be up there and make Child. plays for you. Yeah. talked earlier about 3D, and mm -hmm. one of the ways to attack 3D is to go four vertical, right. two by two, and you're stretching these three deep defenders in four areas. To take that away, you shift coverages a little bit, and now we've got four guys deep. These two guys are protecting the hashes, and these two guys are protecting the numbers. But we weaken somewhere. Right. So no longer do we have four underneath defenders, we only have three. So the stress goes on what I call the two quarters flat defenders okay. and the Mike linebacker. Let's talk about different types of quarter coverage, okay. okay? There's real aggressive flat foot quarter coverage, and there's a softer cover four where you're taking away the deep route. All right. Make sure you stay close enough inside that he can't hit that seam. The other thing that's interesting about quarters Conceptually, you have to make a decision in quarters coverage. You want to, you want to play your corners outside or inside. Yeah. You play them outside, it'll help you on those deep out routes. Right. But some teams will play it inside and say that we're better at corner than you yeah. are at wide out, and it helps all of the inside. If they want to throw an out route all day, our corners are good enough to drive right. on it. So we're talking about two deep, five under, yeah, right? Simple deep. math is your two deep defenders, yeah. right? Theoretically, your two corners are in the flat, your Mike linebacker's in the middle hook, and there's your two curl defenders. In theory, it should take away a little bit more of the short passing game. Mm -hmm. Now, you weaken yourself in the deep routes, but it should be a little bit better underneath. But if it's strong side, right? Keep 
that too high look. Listen, there's a lot of versions of cover two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with little intricacies and changes. There are firmer cover twos. The corners stay in the flat no matter what. There's what I call floated cover twos, where the corners could get pulled out of the flat based on particular routes that they get. Do you like to redirect? Yeah, I, I, all of them would believe in redirecting. OK. Oh, Corners theoretically want to force their number one receiver inside yeah. because you've got yeah. only two deep defenders now, each covering a half of the field. So, so you want to shrink that shrink part it. of it. And yeah. if listen, it, the, the coverage never works very good if you don't do that. All right, so there you go, uh, man, Spags, dude. Hey, uh, you know what? I don't know for sure, but I'm willing to bet hard-earned money that he's from Massachusetts. <laughs> Every time he says yod or cod, yeah. I, I think Spags is from Massachusetts. Maybe someone can confirm that for me. It's uh, just a suspicion I have. I love it, dude. His uh, his accent was was cracking me up the whole time. I'm sure you'd hear a mine and throw up on his sneakers, but it is what it is, right? Hey, I hope I hope Spags comes out and just. Who do you think you are? I am. You don't know who Spagnola is, man. That's yeah. that's royalty right now in the coaching staffs of the NFL for sure. He's the man. I love how he broke everything down. And keep in mind, at the time, if I remember correctly, he had a Rams shirt on in that video, so he was with the Rams at the time, I think. So if that was the case, and he was with the Rams then. Um, when did they move? Let me think here for a second. Yeah, because th they end up hiring. It was it was it the Ra he was the DC with the Rams. That's what it was, wasn't it? Was he the DC with the Rams? Yeah, when, when they were in St. Louis, right? Yeah, when Coughlin got fired, then he went and was the DC for the Rams. Maybe that's how it played out. And then, of course, when Jeff Fisher got fired from the Rams. That's when he took a year off and went to KC, if I remember right. It, nonetheless, it don't really matter. He's just just an amazing coach, man, amazing man. And I love what he was highlighting there was mostly zone defense, zone defense. You hear him talk about the 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 underneath two maybe getting floated out. What he's referring to there is zone match, depending on the principle, right, depending on how the defense or how the offense is going to attack there. I love how he pointed out when you're in a, when you're in a cover three defense, four verts really stretches that cover three defense, which would make you think, go cover three match with a vertical aspect of the number two receiver on and on. It's just, uh, again, these are the type of videos and stuff that you want to comb through and find, you know, when you hear the other fans, average fans go, oh, this guy's garbage. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, there's no substance is what they're saying. Find some videos like this, dig in and, and, and telling you guys as stupid as I am, I am in it. I'm telling you, I'm dumber than dumber than a brick. You guys are not. I know, Clay. We know. Trust me. If I can learn this stuff, you guys can. And I'm telling you, it's just constantly evolving and learning more. It's just it's really, really good stuff. I want to point that out because now he talked about all zone defense, which they ran a lot of when he was with the New York Giants. And then obviously with the Rams there, he just highlighted zone, zone, zone. Look at what he did with the Chiefs. You know how we talk about the league is always changing? This is the Chiefs numbers from last year. They ran man coverage 32% of the time. That was seventh most in the league. They ran zone 49% of the time. So they still ran zone 17% more than they ran man, but their zone defense was 29th most in the league, had an EPA of three and eight with both of those, right? Now, middle field open or middle field close? He ran middle field close dead last, right? 
So yeah. he was playing middle field open, shell to high coverage. You want to know why the Packers, Packers struggled last year on defense? Because we completely committed to middle field close to be a more aggressive defense. We brung five rushers, fifth most in the league, right? And we did it without playing shell coverage, right? They were first in EPA middle field open. Now, on top of that, look at how they rushed the quarterback. What did we do as the Packers? We rushed five, right? We, we, we rushed five, fifth most in the league. They rushed six-plus rushers 8% of the time. That was fifth most in the league. And they rushed three rushers 6% of the time, which was eighth most in the league. So they were either bringing three or they were bringing six-plus the majority of the time. So they played a little more man coverage than most teams, obviously being seventh most in the league. They still played more zone than they played man, and they chose to go middle field open. We chose to go middle field close. People go, I don't believe it, Clayton. We were running Fangio scheme. I'm telling you, you don't know what you're talking about. We weren't running Fangio scheme. Here's Green Bay's numbers. Middle field close, 52% of the time, fifth most in the league. Run it back again. The Chiefs, middle field close, 29% of the time, 32nd in the league. He was showing shell to reduce the uh, to reduce the amount of times that offenses would attack with four verts, like he showed you there. If you're showing too high shell, they're less likely to run four verts that puts stress on a single high coverage. So if he's running middle field open the majority of the time, what you're doing is you're reducing the explosive play while still applying pressure underneath. That's what Spags did last year. And again, when you go back to the Packers, there you see the five rushers, 27% of the time, fifth most in the league. Um, to me, that was the problem last year. We went middle field close a large majority of the time. People didn't realize it, so they just immediately kept regurgitating what other podcasters were saying, which was this Fangio scheme sucks. It wasn't the Fangio scheme that we ran last year. We deviated from it really, really heavy, and I think it kind of cost us there at the end. But nonetheless, new guy in town. He's probably going to run more middle field closed. Um, he's probably going to play more man coverage. What I would like to see, and it might be a curveball, why not go Spags's route, middle field open, and maybe somewhere around 32 33% man coverage and try to bring six or just bring three and let's play it, play it the way Spags did. And, and, again, teams are going to adjust to Spags, right, and they're going to know how to attack it. They've got a year full of tape on them. But nonetheless, it's going to be uh, going to be interesting to see how Halfley attacks it. You got anything for that, Tim? No, I think you're right. I I think Halfley's probably going to be hesitant to go that route. He's he's spoken pretty openly about playing middle field closed, and he likes that that single high look. But you know, any good defense is going to have versatility. And the minute you think you've you've got a read on what they're doing, they're going to switch it up on you. And you know, like Spags was saying, you know, there's tons of cover two. Uh, defenses, uh, options, you know, and being versatile is what's going to bring you success. I mean, uh, Spags is a master at the, at disguising the coverages. You talk about rotations and, and things like that. So um, I'd be interested to see if Halfley Pepper some of that into his his approach just to just to maintain that versatility. So, you know, yeah. time will tell. Definitely. Carly ran the chat said, ha ha, Tim stream went down right after you said, quote, I don't know for sure, but I'm willing to bet. And then it went, whoop, <laughs> left us all hanging. Jay said, wicked cliffhanger. I love A it. W- wicked cliffhanger. Yeah. You can go back and, uh, and watch it guys. And it'll be in its entirety. Again, they just cut it out because it's uh, the AI is triggering a copyright there, but let's get on to some history here. You ready, Tim? We skipped it this morning. I don't want to skip it tonight. We got another video here. Are you good with it? 
Yeah, let's do it. All I'm right, gonna I'm gonna go. Google where uh, Steve Spagnola is from real quick because I oh, it's yeah. bothering me now. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, guys. So this is from the Packers Legacy documentary. You can find it on the Packers YouTube channel. Uh, just a phenomenal. We've been promoting the heck out of it. We're gonna continue to promote the heck out of it. We want every Packer fan to know this thing exists and uh, and make sure they go out and check it out. So obviously, this one's gonna pick up right after the third straight championship that the Packers won. You're going to see a lot of Johnny blood. You're going to hear the stories about the California trip where Curly Lambeau was stealing girls from the players. Absolutely hilarious. Right. <laughs> and uh, obviously this is around the time that the, the great depression hits. And then you're going to get the infamous fan lawsuit where a fan fell drunk at a game, sued the Packers, won the lawsuit. And then you're going to hear about an early, early mention of the hungry five and how they stepped in to help save the Packers and drive the first stock drive. But let's see if we can get it in and still get out of here in under an hour, Tim. Here we go. They have to win big, or at least win. It happens in grand style in October 1930. 11,000 fans at City Stadium watch Red Dunn pass to halfback Johnny Blood. Blood scrambles 55 yards for the winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. The Packers beat the New York Giants 14-7. The victory proves to be the difference in the 1930 race. Green Bay takes the championship title for the second straight year. It's a great equalizer. The fans have been there from day one. Part of it is it's a small town relative to the other NFL cities, very small in fact. Without the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay is just another mid-sized Midwestern town. There is no major professional team in this type of a setting. That alone is the main accomplishment of the Packers. In November 1931, before a New York Polo Grounds crowd of 35,000, the Packers beat the New York Giants again, this time 14 to 10. This helps them retain the inside track and winning a third straight NFL championship. The team with the best regular season record was called the champion and they become the first team to win three straight championships. 1929, 1930, 1931, no team had ever won three in a row. Their defense was the best in the league. Their offense with Red Dunn and Lavi Dillwig, Johnny Blood, was always a threat. George Hallis said Johnny Blood was the first big play specialist in the NFL. Who was a running back, but also a fantastic receiver. He may have made an even bigger impact on the passing game. During their three-year championship run, the Packers play to three of the six biggest crowds in the NFL. Winning three straight championships is a quite accomplishment, and no team has done it other than the Packers. We came very close to winning four in a row. The 32 season, we had a 10-3-1 record. The Bears were six wins, one loss, and six ties. The unique element to the, the standings was um, most games at that time were more low scoring, so ties were much more common. They actually had the most wins in 1932, more wins than the Chicago Bears, who actually won the NFL title in 1932. Of course, it's before the NFL had the playoff system, so it's strictly by standings. If they had calculated the, the standings the way they do today, we would actually have won four in a row, which would have been amazing. November 10th, 1932. The Packers embark on a 32-day, six-game road trip to end their season. Johnny said to me one day in the room, he said, how'd you like to go to Hawaii? Less than 48 hours after their return, 
They head to Los Angeles, where they board an ocean liner destined for Hawaii to play two exhibition games, plus two more in California. There were 19 of us went over and spent 22 days on the island. We were promoting football on the West Coast at the time, trying to establish it. Between the two trips, they're gone for roughly three months and travel 15,000 miles. We had to take Curly Lambeau because Curly said that you can't go and use the Green Bay Packer name unless I go along. We had to give him $1,000 of the guarantee to do that. <laughs> Enter Miss California, Billy Copeland. Curly affectionately calls her Sue. Miss California, she happened to be on the ocean liner. Two players got in a fight over this beauty contestant and uh, Curly interceded and walked away with a woman. He informed Marguerite, his high school sweetheart and wife at the time of about 13 years that he wanted a divorce. Despite the wins, the championships, the fandom, the Packers, as well as most teams throughout the league, continue to face financial woes. Even with the success on the field, they're not making a lot of money. It was all based on ticket sales. There was no television. The Great Depression eliminated wealth, huge amounts of wealth in this country. There's financial concerns pretty much throughout that entire period. For years, the team lost money. Uh, throughout the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, even going into the 50s, uh, it was a great year if we could just break even. It was very unstable in those years, and then the instability was uh, sort of underscored by the Depression. It was a long time before we started seeing people buying season tickets and getting to the point where we were sold out on a regular basis. Uh, so it was tough sledding for, for many, many years in the National Football League. Lots of franchises came and went. The Depression hurt Green Bay. Yet at the same time, it really didn't affect Green Bay as much as it did a lot of other cities. It helps that the Packers started out as a winner. It's easier to sell a winning team than a losing team, even though they had some financial concerns off the field. 1931, the second game of the season, one of uh, Willard Bent was attending the game. And he purchased a ticket for $1 for the 1931 Packers-Brooklyn Dodgers game at City Stadium. They had some temporary bleachers set up. He got up to cheer at some point, and when he went to sit down, something went wrong. He fell and injured his back, and he sued the team for $20,000. If you read the court testimony of the trial, it came out in that testimony that Bent was an alcoholic, was suffering from an advanced case of syphilis, and um, was prone to falls and injuries. Nevertheless, local jury awarded the money. A judgment came down for around $5,500. The Packers appealed all the way to the state Supreme Court, but the judgment was upheld. Team goes to the insurance company uh, to take care of the claim, and the insurance company doesn't have the money. It was in, during the Depression. The Packers uh, insurance company had uh, gone bankrupt, so they weren't covered. August 15th, 1933, the darkest day in Packers history. The Green Bay Packers go into receivership. Now we're hurting. Now we're hurting, and thank goodness for Lee Joannes. It is believed he loans the Packers $6,000 out of his own pocket to help the team survive. I don't know if he ever got his money back or not, but it wasn't a problem for him to step up and put some money where his mouth was. Without his 
his help in that situation. Who knows if the team survives? Judge Grass picked a, um, a friendly receiver who was Frank Jonnett. Judge Henry Grass hands Jonnett $76.18 in cash, along with judgments and unpaid bills amounting to more than $15,000. Obviously, the people in Green Bay did everything they could to make sure this franchise survived their financial troubles during that period. They just sneakily put the franchise in Joanny's name. Joanny's actually owned the team for the 17 months that the Packers were in receivership. I don't really think anybody knew that other than probably the inner circle. The Packers organization, perpetually on its deathbed. Time and again, the community and its leaders refused to let go. That is when the Hungry Five really came into play. The people that led them out of those dark days. They were described as the Hungry Five, not because they were hungry for food, not because they were hungry for football, but because they were hungry for money. <laughs> well, so again, we're going to pick up tomorrow with the Hungry Five. It's going to be really, really cool there, man. Just, uh, and the history, it's like every episode, it gets even better. Um, just, just hearing how, by a thread, Tim, by a thread, this team has hung on, man. Yep. Still here. I mean, look at what we have now. I mean, if it wasn't wasn't for those those men and women that that helped make this happen in the in the early years, I mean, we we would have lost this team many many moons ago. And um, yeah, it's 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 just huge. You can't can't understate that. And that's why it's so important to know your history. You know, especially when you know being a fan of this franchise when there's so much of it. And, um, you know, our history parallels the history of the, you know, the inception of the National Football League itself. Um, so it's uh, always cool to see this stuff, man. You learn something new every every single time you go back in the history books. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, before we go, though, just want to mention we got some breaking news here. Matt Schnobin just tweeted out uh, a little while ago. Looks like at 814 my time. So, yeah, roughly 30 minutes ago, the Packers are hiring 49ers assistant strength and conditioning coach Aaron Hill as their new head of strength and strength and conditioning per source. So they're going to pluck a strength and conditioning coach Aaron Hill out of the 49ers organization to head up their strength and conditioning program there in Green Bay. So got another position filled there on the staff. Uh, excited to see if these hammies get solved. Tim, that's going to be the big question, right? Can this guy is he the? We got a we got a uh, dub the him ham- a nickname. The hammy whisperer. Oh my God! There it is. It's too perfect. It's too perfect. The Hammy Whisperer. I about said Whisperer. The Hammy Whisperer. I remember that. Write that down, Tim. I'll forget by tomorrow. So, with that being said, we're going to get out of here, fellas, uh, pre uh, and ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. Um, before we do, we got a couple of things marked here. Greg Rice, did they, did they call cover three middle field close? Cover three means there's a safety deep in the middle of the field. That's middle field close. Two safeties deep means middle field open, okay? So typically with middle field close, you're in one of two defenses, okay? And and keep in mind, these numbers are post-snap final rotation, not where they lined up. The Packers showed a lot of two high and rotated to single high, which is middle field close. Middle field close is cover three or cover one man, meaning everyone's man across the board. you got a deep safety patrol in the middle of the field or it's cover three, two dropping deep and one in the middle, still middle field close, 
each of those deep zones are responsible for a third of the field, right? That's what Spags was talking about there. So I just want to clear that up. And then there's Ron right there, Packers hiring Aaron Hill as head of strength and conditioning from the 49ers. Appreciate you, Ron. Thank you for uh, posting that in the chat too, man. So there you go, guys. We're out of here. We will uh, we will see you guys in the morning, most likely, for a good morning Lambo. We've got a mock draft that came in from the 33rd team that I'm interested in sharing with you guys and gals. It should be a lot of fun to kind of deep dive that. We'll also be back with some history, and we'll start to dive into the Hungry Five and some of these businessmen that, that saved uh, the Green Bay Packers there throughout time. So with that being said, we're out of here. Thank you for, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go back up. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Yes, our YN or a tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet. Get an isolation with the, with the linebacker. Tell the tackle to take the defensive end if he's over him. If he's not, to drive down on the first man to his inside. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker hit, he comes all the way around. Look at this play when we're trying to get it to see you here and to see you here and try to run this play in the alley.